the snow is snowing. The wind is blowing, but I can weather the storm. What do I care how much it may storm? I've got my love to keep me warm. The snow is snowing and the wind is blowing, but I can weather the storm by Cleo the Proclaimer. Summary. So perhaps she should close. Yes, that would probably be for the best. Close for the day, head to Houston, and sneak on an earlier train. But just as Pippa was having the thought, she heard the door open and the bell ring, and the sound of a woman's voice. Could I get something to drink? Actually, we're close. But as Pippa turned around, it was all she could do to keep her mouth from falling open. The woman. The actual woman. In the flesh. Standing awkwardly in front of the counter with her long black coat dripping onto the floor. And good grief. She was somehow even more beautiful once one got close. Even with her expression twisted in an annoyed grimace. A Hicksweek Coffee Shop AU. At Christmas. Rated mature. Out it's up to your knees out there. You've really been I thrill when you touch my hands. How can you do this thing to me? To be to Think of my lifelong song. If you got pneumonia and I, I really can't get over that old doubt, baby, it's cold. Baby, it's cold outside. Pippa wiped down the espresso machine with a damp cloth, watching with satisfaction as the flecks of coffee grounds and splashed milk stains that had accumulated there over the day gradually receded, until the stainless steel twinkled with the reflection of tinsel and pink Christmas lights. Grinning at the sight, Pippa grabbed the broom, turned up the radio as loud as it would go, and began to sweep behind the counter enthusiastically. Through the years, we all will be together, if the fates allow. Ella Fitzgerald crooned through the speaker, and Pippa began to move in time to the dreamy piano. But till then, we'll have to muddle through somehow, she sang, running the broom over the floor with one hand and spraying the counter with the other. Whilst Pentangles was still technically open, Pippa had had the theory that she could get the custom of a few last-minute Christmas breakfast shoppers. Her two teenage employees had long been sent home, and with all of the things that needed cleaning and the accounts that needed doing before she closed up at 7 o'clock, Pippa thought she might as well get a head start. Still, it didn't matter. The train to Manchester didn't leave until 8, and having already guessed she might not have time to get the tube back to her flat on the other side of London, Pippa couldn't help but smile to herself at the thought of going back up north for Christmas. And over the phone her mother had sounded pleased at the thought, if a little harassed. Mrs. Pentangle's generosity over Christmas knew very few bounds and having only told her mother she would be coming home a mere two months before Christmas, Pippa was sleeping on the floor of the living room with her two teenage cousins. All the same, she felt as though she was going home, even after nearly ten years of living in London. Eight years of a gorgeous, impersonal glass doll's house of a flat in the city, and almost two in a pokey little flat on the outskirts of West London as she scrimped and saved every penny to start up the bakery. Oh, but it had all been worth it. Almost a year of painstaking alterations to recipes, and meetings with contractors, and mastering a coffee machine that seemed as though it could have fallen straight off a spaceship, and Pentangles wasn't just open, it was thriving. Pippa was good at this. She was good at running this sort of business. She knew what people wanted to eat, and she knew how people wanted to eat it. In Pentangles, 
The lighting was warm, but not ostentatiously coppery. It had an airy, open feel, but armchairs and coffee tables were arranged artfully to give a feeling of intimacy. There were fresh flowers on tables and low bookshelves stacked with odd titles, and at peak time, delicious smells from the kitchen would waft into the cafe and out into the street and make even the most committed of dieters sniff at the air wistfully and wonder if one bite of her famous mocha cronuts would hurt. It had only been three months, but she already had a firm client base of locals, baby group mums and students. All she needed was a good culture trip review to make her bakery a tourist choice in Bloomsbury. Even the neighbors had been keen to welcome her into the fold. All except one, it would seem. Pippa looked out through the front of the shop, peering into the shop opposite. The bookshop still had its lights on, for what she assumed must be some sort of Christmas event. It was an odd, sociable sort of street in that way. The kind of place Pippa hadn't realized existed in London anymore. Where somehow children still played, and independent shops still thrived, and old ladies stopped outside the grocers for a chat. And there was no doubt that the old bookshop was its beating heart. It had a beautiful old Edwardian shop front, with artistic, painstakingly curated displays. Pippa could see children inside, running about with bits of tinsel and building forts out of stacked books. But the flat above had its lights out, and the woman was nowhere to be seen. Only her cat lolled by the window, licking its paws daintily. She had started calling her the woman in her head. Pippa would see her sometimes through her window, looking for her keys, or reading a book, or brushing her long, dark hair, like some sort of medieval princess looking down at the world below from a tower. Pippa had hoped, perhaps, that she would pop into the bakery. Who wouldn't pop into a bakery across the road, even if just to grab a cup of coffee on the way to work in the morning? But each time Pippa had seen her walk through the street, she had barely spared a glance at the shop's direction. Eventually, Pippa had been overcome by curiosity and ventured into the bookshop itself wondering if it belonged to her reclusive neighbor. But it turned out to be run by a delightfully eccentric old opera singer and her husband, who exchanged knowing looks when Pippa casually brought up the woman. Oh no, nothing to do with the business, the opera singer, Miss Bat, had explained. She rents one of the flats above the shop from us. She's rather prickly, I'm afraid. You might struggle to get to know her. Three months into running the bakery, and Pippa had still yet to do much more than see the woman on the opposite side of the street. A couple of times she thought she might try and engage her in conversation, but each time her courage had failed her at the last minute. And if she was quite honest, Pippa took pride in her personability, and was mildly offended that she wasn't considered worthy of getting to know by a woman who looked as though her wardrobe had been handpicked by French existentialists. The song came to an end, the last few melancholic chords fading into the air, and Pippa surveyed the shop with a sigh. There wasn't much else to do other than more cleaning, and she doubted she would get more customers that night. The sky was dark and stormy. It had grown so cold that the London rain had become sleet, pelting any commuters unfortunate enough to still be about. At least in her hometown, there would be snow. Deep, beautiful snow. Not the thin gray flakes that passed for the stuff here. So perhaps she should close. Yes, that would probably be for the best. Close for the day, head to Euston, and sneak on an earlier train. But just as Pippa was having the thought, she heard the door open and the bell ring, and the sound of a woman's voice. Could I get something to drink? Actually, we're clo- But as Pippa turned around, 
It was all she could do to keep her mouth from falling open. The woman. The actual woman, in the flesh, standing awkwardly in front of the counter with her long black coat dripping onto the floor. And good grief, she was somehow even more beautiful once one got close, even with her expression twisted into an annoyed grimace. Are you really? The sign outside says you're open till half past six today. Pippa straightened her back. Part of her was itching to bustle her out of the shop with a takeaway cup of tea. But it was another, weaker, more curious part that answered. Well, technically I was closing, yes. But I suppose there's no harm in making you a cup of tea, so long as you don't mind me hoovering around you. The woman relaxed, and she offered a tense smile, slipping off her dripping coat and draping it on the back of a bar stool. Earl Grey, thank you. Pippa turned around to make her the drink, and couldn't resist sneaking another glance at her. She had her hair drawn back in a tight bun, and somehow, despite emerging from one of the most miserable evenings Pippa could remember, had perfectly applied, unsmudged lipstick. Having brought a paperback copy of Jane Eyre out of her bag, she quickly became engrossed and didn't seem to notice Pippa watching her until... Ouch! Pippa snatched her hand back from the hot water tap of the coffee machine, and the woman looked up in surprise. Is everything all right? Fine, Pippa ground out, the slight pain inconsequential in comparison to the sheer embarrassment of appearing amateurish in front of the woman of all people. Just scalded myself, that's all. The woman put her book down, brow creased. Is it serious? No, not at all. Let me see. Cautiously, Pippa held out her hand. The woman held it briefly in her own, examining the reddened skin. Run it under the cold tap. Burns can be nastier than they appear. She looked up, and for a moment Pippa forgot how to breathe, meeting her eyes and holding her gaze for one, two, three seconds. And then Pippa remembered where she was standing. She withdrew, passing the woman her cup of tea, before obeying her advice and running her hand under the tap. Are you a doctor? The questions seemed to startle the woman. No, just... I've seen a lot of people scald themselves. So, you have a lot of people making cups of tea for you, then? Something like that, she replied dryly. Pippa grinned, and having numbed her hands sufficiently with the cold water, pulled a bottle of spray and a cloth from beneath the counter, and began to work her way around the bakery, wiping tables. I'm Pippa, by the way. Yes, I know. Pippa looked up in surprise. You know? How? Perhaps she had not been the only one making inquiries. You're a favorite topic of Gwen's at the moment. She's a fan of yours. Pippa's smile grew broader. Yes, she mentioned you too. I was wondering why I hadn't seen you around. The woman looked faintly embarrassed. I'm not really a fan of sweet things, she said unconvincingly her cheeks turning a little pink. Or of sweet, frothed coffees come to that. Ah. Pippa decided not to press the matter further, busying herself with cleaning. You know, when Gwen was talking about you, I don't think she ever mentioned your name. The woman paused and blew on her tea before answering. I'm Hecate. Hecate Hardbroom. Pippa stopped what she was doing and stared. Hecate Hardbroom. Yes. The woman, or Hecate, rather, as Pippa supposed she would now know her, answered defensively. Pippa giggled in delight. You know, your parents couldn't have named you better if they'd tried. Hecate Hardbroom. There was talk of calling me Desdemona when I was a baby. But even my father felt that was a little too on the nose. 
Hecate said dryly. But what about you, Pippa Pentangle? Your name might have been plucked from a fairy tale. Oh, don't, Pippa said, sighing. I used to get so badly teased for it at school. I was a tiny thing as well, so they'd call me Pipsqueak. Pipsqueak, Hecate drawled, as if rolling the name around on her tongue. Do you know, I can see that suiting you as well as your name does now. Oh, go away, Pippa retorted, swatting half-heartedly in her customer's direction with a cloth. If only I could, Hecate sipped at her tea, her brow furrowed. There are currently about twenty small children, all of whom have consumed a great deal more sugar than is sensible, who have invaded the bookshop for a carol concert of all things. I'm shut out from my own home, unless I brave the screaming hordes. She looked so gloomy at the thought that Pippa burst out into laughter. Small children? Is that all it takes to defeat Hecate Hardbroom? Oh, I'm not easily defeated. But small children, opera, and netball will at least have me running for cover. Pippa only laughed harder. They kept up the conversation, Hecate's book forgotten, whilst Pippa hoovered under the armchairs and coffee tables, wiped surfaces, and put together a box to take to the local food bank, which happened to be on the way to the station. Despite her initial reserve, Hecate proved to be fascinating company. They managed to sustain livening, enjoyable, and often amusing disagreement about topics ranging from the Brontes to travel through London, and once or twice Pippa managed to coax the corners of Hecate's lips upwards and do a smile, whilst she had to pause cleaning every so often, when a particularly wry remark of Hecate's would have her in a fit of laughter. By the time Pippa had put the hoover away and was washing up Hecate's mug, they had somehow wandered over to Christmas music. But they're just good songs, Pippa countered, hastily running a tea towel over Hecate's mug. Nice to sing along to. Make you get in the Christmas spirit. All you need is a good playlist. That depends if the Christmas spirit is in fact something you wish to voluntarily get yourself into, Hecate pointed out slightly morosely. Pippa chuckled. I see. So you're a Scrooge, are you? Hecate inclined her head. A Scrooge with no money and no staunch faith in capitalism. But it does seem to me absurd that at a time when sea levels are rising and people are finding themselves in increasing poverty, Christmas serves as an excuse to get each other more tat to end up in landfill, to eat terrible food, and yacht homophobic slurs under the guise of singing along to Christmas songs. Pippa sighed. Well, put it like that, and the whole thing does seem indefensible, she admitted, coming out from the back of house and leaning over the counter, so that she was close to Hecate, as if they had been sitting across from each other at a table in the cafe. But Christmas can be about more than that, if we let it be. It can be about thinking about people you love and organizing a gathering with them so that you can remember each other together and sitting down for a meal that you've all worked at cooking together and feeling happy just in the nearness of all these people around you. Is that what your Christmases are like? Hecate asked, an almost wistful note to her voice. Pippa sighed. Sort of. Except... My mother is never good at confining her Christmases, and recently they have felt so big and so impersonal that I've barely had the chance to get any enjoyment from the actual day itself, and I'm always relegated to sleeping on the floor, so I always finish my holiday with back pain, but it is home, and it is my mother, and my aunts, and my granny, even if there are a lot of additional individuals I would rather do without. So you're going home for Christmas? Peppa nodded. Yeah, to Stockport, near Manchester. Hecate blinked. I, 
Sorry, Manchester? Yes, Pippa said, a little defensively. I know I'm cutting it a bit fine, but Euston's only around the corner, and my train doesn't leave till eight, so if I leave now... You haven't heard. They've closed Manchester train station. What? Pippa's head snapped up. They can't have. The snow is too deep. I hear they've stopped all of the trains. And what's more, the coach drivers are refusing to go out. Pippa flung her cloth down onto the counter. Oh, please no, she moaned, running to where she had left her phone and hoping beyond hope this was just a joke in poor taste. But no, upon turning on her phone, there were no fewer than three news alerts and 20 missed calls from her mother. Ugh, Pippa sniffed trying to hide the tears that were rapidly welling in her eyes. This is ridiculous. A few flakes of snow, and the entire bloody country shuts down. What am I supposed to do? Hecate looked uncomfortable. Do you live nearby? Pippa slumped against the counter, biting her lip to stop it from wobbling. I live in the absolute fucking sticks of West London. The last train will have left by the time I close up. And even if I do manage to get on a bus, I can expect to be home, by myself, at about three o'clock on Christmas bloody morning. Fabulous. Having vocalized her woes, and even sworn a little, Pippa felt even more miserable, and two tears rolled down her cheeks. And all after she had just spent the last five minutes rhapsodizing about the importance of Christmas. Her own one had been ruined in the space of about five seconds. Hecate looked even more uncomfortable, if possible, and she stirred her tea, not meeting Pippa's eyes. You shouldn't do that, she said quietly. Pippa made a small, frustrated sound. Well, what shall I do then? Hecate stirred her tea a little longer, and then looked up, her expression inscrutable. You can't possibly get to West London at a reasonable hour. In fact, I wonder whether you would be able to get a bus at all. You would, however, be welcome to sleep on my sofa. And then, of course, you may attempt to get a taxi tomorrow if you want to leave. Pippa gaped at her, too shocked to continue crying even. Excuse me? Hecate went pink. No, ignore me. It was a stupid suggestion. Pippa opened her mouth, then closed it again, walking back to where she had been standing before behind the counter. No, Pippa assured, looking her up and down in disbelief. I, it's not stupid. Definitely not. I just need a bit of time to think. Right, Hecate nodded. It's just, well, I know we're neighbors, but... We're practically strangers. I mean, you've spent three months avoiding me, and now you're offering me your sofa? I, well, I only thought. Hecate trailed off. It's Christmas, I suppose. For all I was bad-mouthing the holiday just now. I don't think you should spend it on a bus back to West London, or sleeping in the back of your bakery. Pippa was silent, forehead puckered in a frown briefly distracted as she wondered how Hecate could have guessed with such accuracy what her plan B was. Seeing her hesitation, Hecate continued quietly. And I suppose one could consider this an apology for being so unneighborly all these months. You must admit it's not a bad idea. It saves you what would be a very miserable journey tonight. But I couldn't intrude like that. Pippa argued back. You must have plans. Hecate shook her head. No, no plans. I was barely planning to mark the event this year. She looked at Pippa a little anxiously. Please don't feel obliged to take me up on my offer. But equally, please don't refuse out of some misguided sensitivity to me, because it will only be myself and my cat in the flat. Pippa opened her mouth, then closed it again. 
She wondered how long it had been since Hecate Hardroom had started spending Christmases in such a solitary manner. All of a sudden, social embarrassment seemed to fall away, and she was conscious of only two things. A desire not to be alone on Christmas Day, and a desire that this woman, whom she had only just met, should not spend a lonely Christmas by herself. I, she spoke slowly, I mean, if you're honest about it not being too much of a bother, then that would be fine. Wonderful, actually. Hecate nodded and tried to look neutral, but there was a pleased air about her. Good. Sensible of you. Pippa smiled at her, brushing away the last of her tears with the heel of her palm, and Hecate gave a small, tentative smile back. Great. My stuff's in the back. I just have to drop the box off at the donation point, and then we can go back to yours if you like. As soon as she said the words, Pippa blushed, realizing how forward they sounded. Hecate went even pinker, but she nodded. Yes, good. That sounds good. I'll go back to the flat. Ring the bell for flat two when you're outside. Without anything else to do, Pippa closed up the shop, and she and Hecate parted ways. Hecate pulling Pippa's hefty white suitcase. And if Pippa felt slightly miserable walking through bitter winds and treading gray sludge at the thought of not seeing her mum that evening, by the time she had dropped off the box at the food bank and was making her way back to the bookshop, she felt a good deal more cheerful. She had spoken briefly to her mum on the phone, briefly being the operative word. Her mother had been in the middle of organizing Christmas Eve charades. And her mother had been practical, relaxing immediately once Pippa had informed her she wouldn't be spending Christmas alone. Do you know, Pip, that is the most romantic thing I have heard in quite some time, her mum had told her, over the sound of shrieking young children in the background. Exactly the sort of Christmas you should be having when you're young and single, my darling. Pippa had felt heat flood her cheeks. Mum... It's nothing like that. I'm not even sure she likes women. Ah, so you have thought about it, Mrs. Pentangle had pronounced triumphantly. The rest of the conversation was equally infuriating, and after promises for Pippa to come back up as soon as the snow cleared, Pippa hung up feeling oddly relieved that she would not find herself yet again the subject of a prolonged interrogation by an unending succession of her relatives. Christmas with her mother tended to be something of an ordeal, and perhaps it would be nice not to be woken at half five by children opening stockings, or to be forced to participate in great Christmas games that felt less like entertainment and more like endurance tests. Having said that, she had no clue what a Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with the stranger she had met all of an hour ago, particularly given her neighbor's disinclination toward the event. Perhaps Hecate Hardbroom was the sort of woman who enjoyed smoothie bowls for Christmas lunch and thought a five-kilometer run the best way to start off the day. But something about their conversation in Pippa's cafe told her that Hecate was made of different stuff. The wind had grown even stronger, and Pippa had to fight against it, even without the box of baked goods. The sleet had turned to snow, and Pippa's teeth chattered with the cold as she picked her way through the masses of carol singers and charity workers and drunks who were yelling out, Merry Christmases, as though they were extras on a Christmas carol. Eventually, though, she arrived outside the bookshop. The bakery had been so busy the last few weeks, Pippa hadn't had a chance to get closer to look at the bookshop. The front of the shop really was beautiful, with holly nestled among the books, and Christmas silhouettes carefully painted on the window panes. Shivering with the cold and anticipation, Pippa stepped closer, fumbling around the door until she found the bell with flat two written above it. Moments passed 
just enough time for Pippa to wonder whether she would ever see her suitcase again, when the wooden door creaked open slowly to reveal Hecate's face in the dim light. Hi, Pippa breathed, trying not to look too relieved. Hi, Hecate murmured back, moving to one side. Come in, I'm sure you're frozen. Pippa stepped forward out of the cold, almost tripping on the uneven step down onto the shop floor. In the darkness, Pippa could see that Hecate had let half of her hair down, so that great lengths of it fell down her back, whilst her trench coat had been swapped for a black, long-lined cardigan. I think the light bulb in the shop has blown, Hecate said, pulling out her phone and switching on the torch. Mind how you go. Gwen can be quite forgetful about reshelving books. Pippa followed her through the shop, admiring tall oak shelves and inhaling the old, musty smell. It was a good thing Hecate had warned her, else she would have ended up falling head over heels over a pile of German folk tales. I always think there's something so magical in a shop like this after dark, Pippa said, close behind Hecate as they went through a doorway and began to climb the stairs to the flat upstairs. When I was little, I thought all the characters were waiting to come out of their books and have adventures. Hecate paused at the top of the staircase, not turning around. So did I, she said huskily, except I used to imagine that I would shrink to their size and disappear into the books to have adventures with them. Then, seemingly shaking herself, Hecate turned the handle and let them into her flat. Pippa wasn't sure what she had been expecting, stepping into Hecate's living room. There were a few carefully pruned houseplants, a framed poster of an exhibition that had been on that summer at the Tate Modern, and a patterned rug on the floor, but otherwise not much in the way of personal effects. All in all, it would have seemed a fairly spartan room had it not been for the bookshelves, the quantity of which created a wallpaper-like effect. On a single shelf, Pippa could make out gardening volumes and travel guides and books on quantum physics. Hecate didn't seem to own a television, but there was a record player in the corner with a stack of records beneath it, and a dark cat dozed almost camouflaged on the sofa. Pippa turned around to Hecate and smiled. I like your flat. Hecate raised an eyebrow. I'm not sure there's much to like, she said dryly, leaning against the doorframe. Can I get you something to drink? Yes, please. Pippa shrugged off her coat. Wine? Mmm, sounds lovely. Would you mind if I got changed out of my work clothes? The bathroom's just down the hall. The bathroom was no more revealing of her mysterious neighbor than her living room, but Pippa pulled off her cold, wet things with relief and rummaged through her suitcase for something to wear. She had a glittery dress that she had been saving for Christmas Eve, but truth be told, she was relieved not to have to force herself into it. Instead, she pulled a Christmas jumper over her head, slipped on a pair of pajama bottoms that she thought at a pinch could pass for a pair of lounge trousers, and went to join Hecate, whom she could hear in the living room. When she entered, padding softly, Hecate was leaning against the window sill, looking out onto the street where the snow was falling thicker and faster than ever. Not wishing to disturb her host, Pippa turned her attention to the bookshelf. To her surprise, its contents were not as varied as she had thought. Three shelves seemed to be taken up with recipe books, several in foreign languages, and all yellowed with age and use. You like cooking? Pippa asked, running her fingers along the spines of the books. Hecate started and turned around, her expression inscrutable. She walked to the coffee table and picked up a glass of wine, which she handed to Pippa. I live for it. I was a food writer before I moved here. Really? Pippa asked, interested. Where did you write? Here and there. The Guardian, mostly. The Sunday Times, occasionally. I had a book or two, even. 
Pippa took a sip of wine, mulling this new piece of information over. Would you like to put a record on? The heating is useless, but I can put the gas fire on. Oh, go on then. Hecate crossed the room and knelt to fiddle with the ancient-looking gas fire, whilst Pippa picked up the pile of records and began to sort through them. You really wrote for the Guardian? Oh, yes. I'm afraid your name doesn't ring any bells, Pippa said apologetically. Which is funny. I read the food section quite religiously. The gas sputtered and started into a flickering glow of warmth, and Hecate got up, displaced the drowsy cat from the sofa, and took a seat, tucking her feet beneath her. I wrote under a pseudonym, Hecate said, almost inaudibly, leaning back and looking into her wine glass, tracing the rim of the glass with her finger. Pippa frowned at her, squinted, and then let out a small gasp. You're not... You're not Joy Constance. Hecate tilted her head in acknowledgement. But you're... You're brilliant. You are. You're really, really wonderful. Pippa stopped then, frowning. Wait, so you're not writing anymore? Hecate shook her head. No. Pippa waited for more, but none seemed to be forthcoming. Hecate only sipped her wine and gazed out of the window once more. Feeling as though she was broaching a sore topic, Pippa at last found an album she knew and set down the needle. Low sounds of a tenor saxophone began to drift through the room, and Hecate smiled to herself. One of my favorites. Mine too, Pippa agreed, going to take a seat on an armchair across the room, although very old-fashioned. But I suppose that's like you. You're cooking. Traditional. Hecate pulled a face. Traditional. I have to say I don't care for that word. It implies a sort of slavish devotion to roast dinners and steak and kidney pies. But I must say, I fail to see why everything today must be covered in enough gold leaf to make it inedible. Or why chefs must disassemble things no one asked to be disassembled, and then charge 20 pounds more a head for these ridiculous plates, of which there's barely enough to feed a five-year-old. I know, Pippa smiled, leaning forward from where she sat. You wrote about it in your column. Your writing meant a lot to me, you know. Hecate arched an eyebrow, but didn't interrupt, and Pippa felt as though she had to continue. I was working this awful, boring job in the city, making banks and businesses richer, and never doing anything that I actually found interesting or enjoyed doing. And every weekend, when I felt as though I might actually go mad with it all, you would have written a new recipe, and your writing would be funny and concise and no nonsense, and the food would taste amazing. And every time I made one of your recipes, I would feel a bit more alive and a bit more myself. And then one day I started baking, and then I was baking every day, and I knew, I just knew, that if I didn't do what I actually loved and wanted to do with my life, then it wouldn't matter how much money I had, or how lovely my flat was, or how many parties I went to. I would always be miserable. And so, about two years ago, I blew up my life, sold my flat, quit my job, and started a pastry course. Pippa finished out of breath and realized that Hecate had been watching her intently the entire time. I'm sorry. That was a bit intense. I just... I'll miss your columns, that's all. You should write your own. Hecate's voice was low and a little thick. Baking is far more popular with readers than traditional cooking is now. I'm sure you could if you wanted to. Oh, I do want to. I do. If the bakery is a success, I'm sure I could, too. But even then, I would still miss your columns. I could never master cooking the way you have. Hecate remained silent, and Pippa became suddenly worried that she had said something wrong. But at least we finally found something we have in common. Two things. Hecate's reply, though quiet, 
was almost instant. I blew up my life too, as you put it. Left my partner, left my job, stopped writing. Except now it's almost the end of the year, and I still haven't decided what I want to do next. She made a frustrated sound, gesturing with her wine glass. And I can't go back to how things were. It's just not possible. But at the same time, I can't see a way forward. But there will be a way forward, Pippa said gently. It's the only way things can go, you know. Take it from me. And I know, I just know that Joy Constance isn't the kind of person who can watch life pass her by too long. She just wouldn't stand for it. Hecate looked up at Pippa, holding her gaze, her eyes glassy with tears Pippa hadn't noticed welling. I'm not sure I am Joy anymore. But whoever you are, you will still be you, Pippa said firmly. This bit, it passes, and you'll still be here at the end of it, even if Joy isn't. Pippa bit her lip, wondering if she had overstepped the mark. But Hecate sniffed and nodded, resolutely blinking back anything that might have dared to well up in her eyes. Well, perhaps. As the evening turned into night, and the music swelled and faded with each song, their conversation never seemed to dry, though it was punctuated by occasional lulls whilst they listened to a record, or Hecate went to refill their wine glasses, or Hecate would say or do something so utterly beguiling that Pippa would simply stare at her, smiling foolishly. Although, perhaps that had something to do with the wine, and the fact that Joy Constance was sitting across the room from her. Or perhaps just that Hecate Hardbroom was across the room from her, long, dark hair falling over her shoulders as she sipped her wine, her dark eyes that turned thoughtful or surprised or merry, even as the rest of her face remained impassive. When Pippa recounted a story about an angry, middle-aged woman storming in with a face mask and a baguette, Hecate laughed, and Pippa broke off just to listen to the sound of it, with all the beauty of a neglected musical instrument. She didn't actually curtsy. Hecate bit her lip in an apparent effort to stop her laughter. She did, Pippa chortled, and she went out of the shop with a baguette in each hand like they were walking sticks, and, oh my goodness, look at the snow. And, oh my goodness, look at the snow. Pippa set down her wine glass and crossed the room to peer out of the window, kneeling on the sofa and rubbing at the condensation on the window with her hand. The whole street's covered in it. I've never known snow settle in London like this. A white Christmas, Hecate murmured, as Pippa settled back on the sofa next to her. Of all the ridiculous things. Pippa giggled and resisted the temptation to tap her new companion on the nose. Come on, just give in to it. Tomorrow the city will look like a Victorian Christmas card, and then even you will have to get into the spirit of the day. Mmm, Hecate pronounced, craning her long neck to look out the window. Pippa tried not to stare at her throat, or noticed how, as she strained, the shape of her collarbone became visible. Well, I suppose it is rather beautiful. Yes, I would agree. Beautiful, forbidding, somewhat icy, Pippa teased. All of a sudden, the wine and the happiness of the evening and the ludicrous romance of the situation seemed to fill her with a strange, urgent kind of boldness. Hecate raised an eyebrow and took another sip of her drink, looking amused. Your point? Pippa shrugged playfully. Just that it's rather like you, I suppose. Hecate spluttered a little, setting down her glass with pink cheeks and the hint of a smile. Perhaps I shouldn't have given you so much wine. Why? Pippa looked inquisitively through her eyelashes at her neighbor, who rolled her eyes. Because you're flirting. Is that such a bad thing? 
She tried to look as suave as one could possibly look in a Christmas jumper that had a giant reindeer with a three-dimensional sparkling red nose plastered on the front. It is when you're doing it so badly, Pippa pouted. How am I doing it badly? Peggy finished her glass and met Pippa's eyes. Well, usually people are a little more subtle, whereas you seem content to sit back in your seat and list facts about me. Aha, Pippa pounced, leaning forward to wave her finger in Hecate's face. So you admit they are facts. Well, Pippa noted with smug satisfaction that Hecate's color was deepening. Well, anyway, the simile surely fails you if you try and draw any more comparisons, unless you think that I am cold and wet and a hazard to public health. I bet you couldn't do half as well, Pippa challenged. Hecate raised an eyebrow. What? List facts about you? Not as easy as it looks. Oh. Well, you are a somewhat skilled baker. Indisputable. And you are relentlessly cheery. Of course. And I suppose, in a certain light, one could call you beautiful. In a certain light, Pippa feigned outrage, attempting to kick Hecate, who dodged skillfully. Those were rubbish. They were practically insulting. It's called subtlety. It's called... Pippa paused, and she narrowed her eyes. It's called flirting back. That was a challenge, and no mistake. Hecate looked first at the floor, then at a distant point, and then finally at Pippa. Perhaps. Hecate tilted her head, a wicked expression stealing itself over her face. Or perhaps, if I was really flirting back, you wouldn't notice at first. She leaned closer to Pippa, her movement stealthy as a cat's. Perhaps it would be a slow, simmering thing, a murmured conversation, a hand on your arm. Hecate's hand now rested on the back of the sofa. Pippa could almost feel her knuckles grazing her shoulder as her voice dropped to a whisper. Until suddenly, we would be talking, and the air would be different between us, and you would know it, feel the hair on the back of your neck stand on end, and when you would go to look at me. Hecate paused. She was so close now that the ends of her hair tickled Pippa's forearm. Pippa's own eyes were blown wide, and she drunk up Hecate with them, biting her lip lest her heavier breathing become too obvious. She felt as though she might be melting onto the floor like candle wax. Yes, Hecate? Pippa whispered, not wanting to break the spell. But something in Hecate clouded over. She leant back unfolding her legs and clearing her throat. Anyway, as I said, I think we've both had enough to drink, even on Christmas Eve. She was brisk, not meeting Pippa's eye, but her cheeks were still flushed. Pippa sat up, regained her breath, and did her best to recover from the moment just passed. Yes, you're probably right, she eventually agreed, but perhaps we could resume tomorrow when we're both a little less merry. Hecate stiffened and then relaxed as the implication of Pippa's words washed over her. If you like, she murmured, and then Pippa relaxed as well, smiling with encouragement. From what she had heard about Hecate, she seemed like the kind who needed to take things a little slower than they had just been going, regardless of how effectively she had just seduced Pippa. Besides, after a week of 14-hour days at the bakery, trying to keep up with demand in the Christmas season, she could feel exhaustion creeping in, which coupled with the wine was making the room buzz and her eyes droop. As if reading Pippa's mind, Hecate got to her feet, checking her watch. Perhaps I should make up your bed on the sofa then. It's past 10 o'clock. Pippa looked at the clock in undisguised amazement. How could time possibly have run that quickly? Yeah, 
It's been a long day, she yawned. And there's nothing like going to bed early on Christmas Eve to make Christmas Day come quicker. Not that I'm expecting a stocking here. Hecate rolled her eyes again, but it was obvious her heart wasn't in it. Would you like a cup of tea before bed? Pippa stopped, considered her for a moment. You don't have any Nesquik, do you? The effect was instantaneous. If Pippa wasn't mistaken, Hecate's lip actually curled. Nesquik. The day I keep that disgusting powder in the house is the day that I lose all respect for myself as a cook. Hecate strode out of the room and reappeared a few seconds later with a large slab of dark chocolate and a determined look about her. Come on. As it's Christmas Eve, I'll show you what real hot chocolate tastes like. You won't forget in a hurry. Lying nestled in the blankets on Hecate's sofa later that night, Pippa thought that Hecate was right. She wouldn't forget how proper hot chocolate tasted. But perhaps what would lodge further in her memory was the way her arm had brushed with Hecate's as they had reached together for sugar and cinnamon. The look in Hecate's eyes as she held out a chocolate-covered spoon for Pippa to taste from. The feeling of Hecate's cheek against Pippa's lips after they had wished each other good night. Pippa closed her eyes, breathed deeply, and waited for Christmas morning. End of chapter one. Say, let me a call. It's up to your knees out there. I thrill when you touch my hands. How can you do this thing to me? Think of my lifelong song. If you caught pneumonia and I get over that old doubt, baby, it's cold. Baby, it's cold outside.